go ahead and open your Bibles to Acts chapter 24. Bible, Bible app. I guess opening your Bible could also be opening a Bible app as well, so, you know, it, it applies. But this morning we're continuing our study through the book of Acts. We're going to be finishing a two-part look at a, a kind of a short series, just two parts, uh, that I titled Paul's Example of Patient Endurance, something we're seeing throughout Acts chapter 24, verses 1 through 27. And, and in part two, we're going to be studying verses 17 through 27, but let's first read the first 16 verses of the chapter just to kind of keep the context and the flow of what's going on here. Strap in, hold on tight. Here we go. Acts chapter 24, starting in verse 1. It says, Now after five days, Ananias the high priest came down with the elders and a certain orator named Tertullus. These gave evidence to the governor against Paul. And when he was called upon, Tertullus began his accusation saying, Seeing that through you we enjoy great peace and prosperity is being brought to this nation by your foresight. We accept it always and in all places, most noble Felix, with all thankfulness. Nevertheless, not to be tedious to you any further, I beg you to hear by your courtesy a few words from us. For we have found this man a plague a creator of dissension among all the Jews throughout the world and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even, verse 6, tried to profane the temple and we seized him and wanted to judge him according to our law. But the commander Lysias came by and with great violence took him out of our hands, commanding his accusers to come to you. By examining him yourself, you may ascertain all these things of which we accuse him and the Jews also assented, they agreed, maintaining that these things were so. Verse 10, then Paul, after the governor had nodded to him to speak, answered, Inasmuch as I know that you have been for many years a judge of this nation, I do the more cheerfully answer for myself, because you may ascertain that it is no more than 12 days since I went up to Jerusalem to worship. And they neither found me in the temple disputing with anyone, nor inciting the crowd, either in the synagogues or in the city, nor can they prove the things of which they now accuse me. But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, so I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets, I have hope in God, which they themselves also accept, that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. This being so, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and men. As we saw in our, in our study of verses uh, last week, all those verses we just looked at, verses 1 through 16, and as we're going to continue to see in our study today, Clearly, Paul was in need of patient endurance in his life and in his circumstances while he was imprisoned in Caesarea. A, a patient endurance with joy that we actually find the Apostle Paul praying for others in his letter to the Colossian believers. I, I referenced this passage last week, but I want to show it again. Check out what Paul said when he prayed in Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. He wrote this, for this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bring, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And then verse 11, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy. As I shared last week, patient endurance is definitely needed when the Lord allows us to remain 
in something that we would much rather not have to spend any amount of time going through. But the Lord has power for us to patiently endure and to do it with joy. That joy of the Lord being present, being evident in our lives. Paul needed patient endurance for all these different meetings with the Sanhedrin. Not just here, but again in chapter 25, it's going to happen again. They're going to have a new person to bring their accusations before. The Porsche lover, Porsche's Festus. It didn't work last week either. I don't know why. If you know me and you've been around me and my family, I'm the joke killer of my household. I'll just keep going with it until it's long been dead and long since been funny. But anyways, he needed patient endurance for that. He needs patient endurance for all these opportunities with these high-ranking officials who knew that he was innocent, but none of them sought to release him. And he needs patient endurance for the different opportunities and, and in handling his, op- his imprisonment well, to not blow his witness for Jesus, to not lose sight of the Lord in his imprisonment, to take advantage of the different opportunities to share Jesus with others, even if he was rejected, and to not grow bitter towards the Lord or towards people. I think that's a big one in our day. I feel like in the political climate, all the different things that are going on, I feel like that power from the Lord to patiently endure with joy is something that we as believers need the Lord to do in us in order to just interact and know how to engage those around us who are who believe and think differently than us to be able to like not grow frustrated or irritated or impatient or angry with people but to be able to be patient with people just as Jesus I mean when you think about the interactions that Jesus had with the with the religious leaders with the crowds and even with his disciples who did not share Jesus's heart like James and John let's just call fire down from heaven let's just destroy all these people because they didn't want to receive you Jesus they obviously aren't worthy of living any longer and Jesus is like you don't know what spirit you're of you guys are jacked up but think about the, all the different things right Peter rebuking Jesus he needed patient endurance as he dealt with his disciples even and we need it as we interact with each other as we interact with the world around us and have joy to not be a joyless people as we go through this life. And these are things that we, we see happening in Paul's life. He needed God to do that work, and, and, and God did do that work. And we see that kind of throughout the Apostle Paul's ministry, but specifically I see that really clearly throughout this chapter with all the different things that Paul was dealing with. So we saw last week the false accusations in verses 2 through 9. Then we saw, or began to saw Paul's defense in verses 10 through 16, where he, you know, just kind of stated the facts. He, he made a confession to sort of clear things up. But, but now he's going to give further clarity in his defense in verses 17 through 21. So let's read those verses. Acts 24, beginning in verse 17. It says, now, after many years, Paul speaking here, I came to bring alms and offerings to my nation, in the midst of which some Jews from Asia found me purified in the temple, neither with a mob nor with tumult. They ought to have been here before you to object if they had anything against me, or else let those who are here themselves say if they found any wrongdoing in me while I stood before the council, unless it is for this one statement which I cried out, standing among them, concerning the resurrection of the dead, I am being judged by you this day. Paul already said in verse 11 that one of the reasons he came to Jerusalem was to worship. I came to worship. 
I didn't come to start a riot. I came to worship my God. That's why I'm here. But in verse 17, he gives another reason of why he came to Jerusalem. And he says that it was to bring alms and offerings to his nation. This is Paul referencing for the first time the the financial relief gift that the predominantly Gentile churches put together to help the believers in Jerusalem who were in need. Which proves again that he wasn't a plague or a creator of dissension. He wasn't going around inciting riots or rebelling against Rome. He was not disturbing the pox Romana. He wasn't disturbing the peace of Rome. No, he was someone who sought to be a blessing and help to others. He's like, look, part of the reason I came was actually just to to help people who don't have anything. Like, you guys have gotten me all wrong. Like, whatever, whatever you heard, that's not where I'm coming from. That's not my heart. That's not what I was doing. Even this financial relief package is evidence of that. And that was Paul's heart. Paul was the one who was writing to the Gentile churches. He was the one writing to the church in Corinth. Guys, get the stuff together. We want to be a blessing. And and in some ways, Paul's kind of teaching the Gentile churches how to, to love on their Jewish brethren who are not around them. How to have a heart for people that they didn't know. Because it can be easy to become sort of insulated and isolated in your Christian bubble. We take care of our own. We make sure we're all good here. They can handle it. They, they can t- take care of themselves somewhere else. Be warm and be filled. <laughs> in some ways, maybe sort of the attitude that we can get. Missions kind of helps us to have a broader view of the church with a big C, the body of Christ throughout the world. When we have missionaries come, it, it kind of, it, it, we're not doing it so we go like, well, gosh, we just want to, you know, it's nice to hang out with them. No, it, it helps us to have a broader view of the kingdom of God, of what the church is throughout the world, of what God's doing in other places that we can be connected to in some way through prayer and through financial means. That we can partner with what God's doing throughout the world. And Paul's imparting in those ways. He's, he's imparting a, 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 a better understanding to the Gentile believers. Look, guys, it's bigger than you. The church is bigger than you. What, what Jesus is doing is bigger than what he's doing in your city. And to be able to go, look, if there's other people in need, there's other believers in need. We want to help them. We want to bless them. We want to come alongside them. And Paul was a Jew. His his heart was for for his brethren. He's like, these are my people over here. You're my people. You know, we're one in Christ, but these are my people over here. And, And Paul's able to sort of relay in this. Look, this is my nation. These are my people. I love them. I'm not here to start a riot. I'm here to be a blessing. The the Jews from Asia, most likely as we looked earlier in an earlier study, uh, Jews who were from Ephesus, who were there when Paul was preaching in the synagogue for a few months and who turned on him and kind of shut him down, didn't want to listen to him anymore, started to turn the synagogue uh, gathering against Paul. These people happen to be in Jerusalem at the same time as Paul. They see him there in the temple courts. They assumed he had brought a Gentile into the temple area because they saw a a traveling companion of Paul somewhere else in the city. They assumed Paul had brought him into an area of the temple where uh, Gentiles were not allowed to go. They stirred up the crowds against Paul But they didn't find Paul with a mob or with tumult, which just means noisy confusion. As Paul said in verse 18, no, they found Paul purified in the temple. Paul had submitted himself because of the advice of 
James, one of the elders of the Jerusalem church, had submitted himself to a Jewish purification ceremony that he actually paid for for himself and for four other Jewish men to be able to do. And then Paul takes note of the obvious in verse 19 that those Jews from Asia who started all of this in the first place should have been there with the religious leaders at that moment to be witnesses and give their objection to what Paul was saying if they really had anything against him, but they didn't even bother coming. Those that saw him, those that grabbed him, no, no one was there. No one was there to say, I was there, I saw him, he was causing problems. Like, no one was there to give an eyewitness account. There were no witnesses present because the religious leaders heard of everything after the fact. The, the religious leaders were going off of the false testimony of the Jews from Asia and on top of that were bringing their own false accusations themselves. The, the only thing the religious leaders who were accusing Paul could possibly try and say that Paul was in the wrong about when he stood before them about six days or so earlier was that Paul had stood up when he was before the Sanhedrin and he had cried out concerning the resurrection of the dead, I am being judged by you this day. See, the only possible wrongdoing these religious leaders could testify about as firsthand witnesses was not a wrongdoing at all. Because what Paul cried out before the Sanhedrin days earlier was only a wrongdoing in the eyes of the Sadducees who rejected what Scripture had said regarding the resurrection of the dead. And if that was their only accusation of Paul's wrongdoing, it was actually not an indictment of Paul at all. It was an indictment of the religious leaders who had abandoned what God had said in his word regarding those things. But, but now that Paul is finished making his defense, and note that in his defense, he, he never became offensive towards the religious leaders, but he, he conducted himself humbly and honorably before the Lord. He didn't blow his witness here. In verses 20 through, to, through 27, we're now going to see Felix's procrastination. But let's start by reading Felix's response in verses 22 and 23. Verse 22 of Acts 24, but when Felix heard these things, having more accurate knowledge of the way, he adjourned the proceedings and said, when Lysias the commander comes down, I will make a decision on your case. So he commanded the centurion to keep Paul and to let him have liberty and told him to not forbid any of his friends to provide for or visit him. Again, this reference to the way in verse 22 is what the early church predominantly was called. Yes, the early church, even at this point, were called Christians. They started to be called Christians in Antioch, in Syrian Antioch. But predominantly how they were known was by this term, the way. The way was a reference to Christianity and the Christian message, which was all centered upon Jesus Christ. Now, we don't know how Felix had come to have a more accurate knowledge of the way, but it's possible that he had learned these things about the way from his wife, Drusilla. See, Drusilla's father, just to kind of help us better understand this situation in its historical context, Drusilla's father was King Herod Agrippa the first, who was responsible, if we remember in, in Acts chapter 12, he was responsible for harassing some from the church and having the apostle James, the brother of John, killed with the sword and had the apostle Peter put in prison, who he intended to also execute, but a 
an angel had come in the night, if you remember, and, and woke Peter up and let Peter out of the city, let, out of the prison and through the city to safety. Remember, he showed up at the house where all the believers were praying for him. They didn't believe that he was there. The, the girls at the door, Peter, he's out there. They're like, you're crazy. It's his angel. So that, that was her father. Her great uncle was Herod the Tetrarch, also known as Herod Antipas, who was responsible for having John the Baptist beheaded and who questioned and mocked Jesus before sending him back to Pilate before Jesus was crucified. We see that account in the Gospel of Luke. Her great-grandfather, this just shows sort of the family line of this woman, her great-grandfather was King Herod the Great, who in Matthew chapter 2 had all the infants two years old and younger in Bethlehem murdered after wise men from the east who came to worship the king of the Jews who had been born did not return to Herod to tell him where Jesus was at. Quite a family line there. Quite a family line of antagonism and persecution of Jesus and his people. It's likely that Felix's understanding of the way was a result of what he had heard from his wives. But as we see here in this account, Felix didn't want to make a decision. He had an Accurate knowledge of the way, but his response in verse 22 was to postpone any judgment, any decision, and, and say that when Lysias, the commander, came, that he would then make a decision on Paul's case, except that there's no indication that Felix ever summoned Lysias and no indication that Lysias ever came to Caesarea to meet with Felix regarding Paul. Felix was unwilling to condemn Paul in his innocence, but he was also unwilling to free Paul because of his innocence. He just didn't want to do anything. He's like, I don't want to look bad either way. I don't want to condemn him. He clearly hadn't done anything wrong. But he didn't want to let him go. He just put things off. He decided to give Paul some liberty in his imprisonment there at the praetorium, but even being at liberty still meant that he was bound in chains as a prisoner. His freedom was that friends could come and provide for or visit him. And while that was a nice thing for Felix to do, it was not the right thing that he should have done. Which would have been to declare him innocent and let him go completely free. And I think here again we see this patient endurance that was needed by Paul as he was kept as a prisoner unjustly, as Felix just kept procrastinating instead of making a, a just judgment regarding Paul. And also he needed patient endurance for the things that were going to happen after this with the conversations and meetings he's going to have with Felix and then being left bound as a prisoner for two years in Caesarea. But let's continue on. Let's read the rest of this account, verses 24 through 27. It says in verse 24, And after some days, when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Now as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and answered, Go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. Meanwhile, he also hoped that money would be given him by Paul that he might release him. Therefore, he sent for him more often and conversed with him. But after two years, Portius Festus succeeded Felix, and Felix, wanting to do the Jews a favor, left Paul bound. First, in verses 24 and 25, we see that Paul has a private meeting with Felix and Drusilla, and we're told that uh, Drusilla was Jewish. Now, a couple other things to note about Drusilla is that she was about 15 or 16 when she left her husband 
and married Felix, becoming his third wife. She was now about 20 years old at this point, and she was the sister of King Herod Agrippa II and Bernice, who Paul is going to stand before and testify to at the end of chapter 25 and throughout chapter 26. But I want us to notice in verse 24 that, that Felix and Drusilla heard him, heard Paul, concerning the faith in Christ. Paul got to preach Jesus to this Roman governor, this corrupt governor, to his Jewish wife who had come from a family who had a history of trying to snuff out Jesus and his followers. And yet Paul boldly proclaimed Jesus to them and called them to put their faith in Jesus Christ, which means he also would have called them to repentance, that they were to, that they were to turn from their sins and repentance, repentance and then turn towards Jesus by faith. And I want us to consider something here, that without the Lord empowering Paul to patiently endure, I don't think Paul would have gotten this opportunity or would have embraced this opportunity the way that he does. But because of the Lord's power at work in Paul's life to patiently endure with joy, he was able to get to this point and have the ear of these two influential people to point them to Jesus. Maybe in your life you can remember times where you lost your patience and, and because of that maybe you lost some opportunities. Maybe you grew frustrated or irritated by somebody and you lost sort of their ear, so to speak. You lost their respect. Maybe you, you lost the ability to speak into their life. And that patient endurance, how needed it is for us to, to kind of make it to these appointments that God often has for us. To not shut the door on opportunities before they come. I love it that Paul kept the door open. He even kept the door open with the Pharisees. I mean, if you think about it... The, at what point do you just go like, I'm sick of having to say the same things to you? You know, meeting with the, he's already met with the Sanhedrin. This is now the second time. There's still yet a third time. At what point do you just go, I don't, you know what? I just don't even want to talk to you anymore. <laughs> it's like, talk to the hand. You know, or whatever. You're just like, I don't, I, you're, you're not worth my time. I'm wasting my breath. Or you just kind of lose it. You get angry. You take out your frustrations. It, but Paul didn't do that. Paul was able to just kind of keep trucking along, to keep entrusting these opportunities to the Lord. Even when it, it would have been easier to just kind of go, you know what, I don't want to go there anymore. I don't want to have to deal with you guys anymore. To not kind of prematurely close doors that the Lord would extend. I think about how the disciples early on after Jesus' ascension, how they interacted with the Pharisees who were persecuting them early on. Peter and James or Peter and John, who would go before the Sanhedrin, and, and the ways that Peter and John would conduct themselves in humility before the Sanhedrin, that when we come to the point in the book of Acts where it says, and many priests were obedient to the faith, that would not have happened had Peter and John and the rest of the apostles in the early church just kind of grew angry towards the Pharisees because of the persecution and started shutting doors. No, they kept the doors open. They kept walking in humility before the Lord and before others, even when things were hard. And it kept doors open that eventually led to people who were hostile to the faith, seeing them come to the faith, seeing them come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. 
And I think sometimes we give up on people and the Lord hasn't. <laughs> sometimes we just kind of go, ah, I don't think that's ever going to happen. I don't know if this person's ever going to have a change of heart. You know, we have, I've been praying for this person. I've been sharing Jesus with this person for 30 years. And I haven't seen any change. And yet Jesus is going, I'm still after them. I'm still wanting to save them. My spirit's still hounding them. And guys, we need, again, that patient endurance with joy to keep holding on, to keep praying, to keep being a witness, to keep walking in humility, to keep living a life that's honorable before the Lord and people that we, as we consider last week, like Paul, could say, look, my, my conscience is clear before God and men. They heard him concerning the faith in Christ. And as Paul preached Christ to them, he reasoned with them about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. And I, and I want to point out the order here. Because sometimes it's, sometimes, have you ever gone into this sort of situation where you've, you're talking to somebody about the Lord? That's your, in, that's your intent. You're like, I just want to talk about Jesus with this person. And then somehow the conversation start, starts to get on this like sidetrack. And not even necessarily because of you. You're trying to keep Jesus at the forefront. But they start to go on this rabbit trail of something. And then all of a sudden you're on that rabbit trail with them. And you're talking. And then at the end of it you're like, I didn't even get to share the gospel with them. I talked about the, all this other stuff that that's not what's going to save them. Notice the order. First, he, he, he shared with them the faith in Christ. He shared with them the crucified and resurrected and ascended Jesus. He, he preached Jesus and he also reasoned about some of these things. And we need to make sure that as we talk to people, we don't get caught up reasoning about, not that these things aren't important things, righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. Those are good things. They're things that Paul even prioritized as he preached to somebody, as he shared Jesus with somebody, but they were not the primary thing. Faith in Christ was the primary thing. And then he was able to then get into some of these other issues which would help reveal Felix's and Drusilla's need for Jesus as they saw that they were not righteous on their own. Remember, these were very uh, wicked people, very immoral people. And for Paul to address righteousness, man, it could really rub them the wrong way. Talking about self-control, they obviously didn't have self-control. Felix sent for this woman who was already married he already has two wives. He sends for this 15-year-old girl and, and is able to convince her to become his wife at 15 or 16 years old. The dude had no self-control. He didn't know what it was like to have self-control. And judgment to come, I mean, this guy thought he was the judge. He was the stuff. He's the man. I've got my area here. This is my district is my precinct i'm the guy it all stops with me and for, for paul to go hey there's a judgment even for you that's coming spoke to them about righteousness no doubt talking about our our holy god our righteous god who requ requires righteousness but also how we can be justified, how we can be declared righteous by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. To be able to go, look, none is righteous, no, not one. But in our unrighteousness, God has made a way for us to stand before a righteous and holy God. That he took our punishment for us, that he could provide salvation and, and to justify us in his sight. That we could go, we could stand before him and the father would go, you're righteous because he sees us in Christ. Speaking to them again about self-control, which is only possible, only truly possible 
through the power of the Holy Spirit. Guys, we know that in our own lives, even as believers. When we're not walking in the Spirit, remember one of the evidences of the Spirit in our lives, according to Galatians chapter 5, is self-control. It's one of the evidences that the Spirit of God is who is directing our lives. It's who we're submitting ourselves to. And and oftentimes when we're lacking in self-control, we're lacking in submission to the Spirit's work in us. You think about when we, before we came to Christ, what kind of self-control did we have? What kind of power to stop sinning did you and I have? Zero. We could stop certain things, certain behaviors, certain habits, but could you stop sinning? No way. Do we sin still as believers? Heck yes, we do. Do we have to sin? No. The Spirit of God within us is, is, is able to give us power to not sin. We still sin because we choose us over God's way oftentimes. But we don't have to sin. We have the power of God to not sin, to overcome temptation and sin. And to be able to talk to somebody about that, when we talk to people about the Lord who are maybe dealing with things that they just can't seem to overcome, their strongholds in their life, that we can point them to the one who's able to give them victory in their lives. But it's only found in relationship to Jesus Christ. And again, he spoke to them about the coming judgment. No doubt talking to them about how one day every person is going to have to stand before the judge of the living and the dead to give an account that one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. You know, for us as believers, that day is going to be a day of rejoicing. Our knees going to bow, our tongue's going to confess with a smile on our faces. You're my, you are my Lord in this life. You're going to be my Lord for all eternity. But others are going to bow their knee in shame, in regret, knowing that they had chances to choose Jesus and they didn't take those opportunities. And forever, they will have to be in a place of judgment, of condemnation and hell. Not because Jesus wanted to send them there, but because they sent themselves there through their own pride, their own willingness to bow their knee and confess that Jesus is Lord in this life. And I just see as we consider Paul here, but kind of throughout the book of Acts, you know, whether it was one-on-one or, or group evangelism opportunities, it seems that Paul always considered his audience and, and sought to be sensitive to the leading of the Spirit and how he pointed people to and preached Jesus. Not that he ever compromised or watered down the gospel message for the sake of his audience, but seeing that each person and each group of people are different and wanting to be led by the Spirit and how he interacted and communicated the truth of the gospel in a way that those listening would hear and receive and respond to. Paul spoke to people where they were at, but he always pointed them to the crucified, resurrected, and ascended Jesus, never shying away from talking about sin or repentance, but always calling people to repent of their sin and turn in faith to Jesus Christ. And I pray that we continue to learn from Paul's example in how we seek to share Jesus with others. And if you've not shared your testimony, shared Jesus with other people, I just want to encourage you to do it. <laughs> to do it. I, I, I'll be honest with you. It's a lot easier to share the gospel behind this wooden pulpit it's easier because i feel a permission here it's a lot harder for me even when i'm at the grocery store or in line somewhere at a gas station when i'm in a crowd of people 
it's a lot harder. It doesn't come naturally to me to just want to, I mean, you might think of me as a very outgoing person, and I am to a certain degree. But I'm not super extrovert, Mr. like, I just share with every single person that I meet guy. I'm the guy who's like, also deals with timidity. And I pray and ask God, like, God, help me. Give me boldness, Lord. Give me opportunities. And sometimes I take them and sometimes I don't. And, and I, I wish I took every one. I pray that I do. But I'm no different than you in that way. But that we would be praying more and more, just even as the early church did when the disciples first started kind of first facing persecution as they came together. They didn't pray for the persecution to stop. John chapter, uh, Acts chapter 4, they didn't pray, Lord, just stop the persecution, please. They just said, Lord, grant your servants to have boldness to preach your word. Grant this boldness. The problem is not that we live in a hostile world. The, the problem is that we lack in boldness. And, and the problem is not that there's a lack of opportunity. Because that opportunity abounds all around us. The problem is that we lack in boldness. And what we, what we need to be praying is for is for God to do that work of boldness. When they prayed that at the end of, of Acts chapter 4, it says that the place that they were was shaken and they were all filled with the Spirit and had boldness to preach the word. They prayed for boldness and God didn't go, sorry, I'm not into that. Get the boldness on your own. Go be more bold. He's like, cool, you want boldness? Let's do this thing. Like, let's shake this place. Let's shake ourselves out of complacency and apathy. And let's, let's get the power of God. Let's get the, the, the heart of God for people once again that we would be driven by the love of God. To share the heart of God, the gospel of God with people who are dying, separated from the Lord. We need to be praying. I know it's hard because it's the same thing with patience, right? We talked about, was this last week? You pray for patience and then God tests your patience. He gives you things that test the patience. You have to then be patient. So if we pray for boldness, we're thinking the same thing. If I pray for boldness, he's going to give me an opportunity. And I don't know if I want that. No, you do want that. We should want that. And, and we need to be praying for that. But, but notice in verse 25 that Felix's response to Paul's gospel preaching was that he became afraid. Not, not a fear that led to him humbling himself before the God of the universe. Not a fear that led to him receiving the forgiveness and salvation of Jesus. But a fear that led him to procrastinate. To put off any sort of call to respond to the gospel message. To send Paul away. And to tell Paul, "You look, when I have a more convenient time, I'll call for you again. I, I like what David Gutzig said <clears throat> about this. He wrote, Felix was unwilling to declare his decision against Jesus. Instead, he rejected Jesus under the pretense of delaying his decision. Many respond to the gospel in this way. They express their rejection through delay. By delaying their decision to commit to Jesus Christ. But it is rejection nonetheless. The Bible tells us to come to Jesus in repentance and faith today. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2. He goes on to write that the claims of Jesus are never convenient for us. If we insist on waiting for a convenient time, we will wait for an eternity, an eternity spent in agonizing separation from God. It's tragic how many people procrastinate when they hear 
the gospel, whether that's out of fear or pride or, or whatever it might be, thinking that they'll, they'll hear more or they'll make a decision another time when it's more convenient for them. But how many of those people never get that opportunity because tomorrow is promised to no one? According to Bible commentator Warren Wiersbe, the most convenient season, the most convenient time for a lost sinner to be saved is right now. That's so true. And I think in some ways when we read some of the things that Paul went through, we're like, it kind of like encourages us too because we go through these same sorts of things. We'll talk to somebody and we'll share and, and then they'll procrastinate. They'll try to put it off. They'll send us away. Go, no, I just don't want to talk about it anymore. I don't want to talk about it right now. You know, in those moments, you know, we can come away feeling frustrated. We can even come away feeling discouraged. Like, gosh, that, just, that didn't do anything. Nothing happened. But oftentimes we have no idea what's happening in the the heart of somebody long after we've left that conversation. We don't know the kinds of things that that person wrestles with once they hit their head on their pillow at night. Everything starts to become quiet. You start to replay the things of the day. You start to replay the things of your life. Paul dealt with those same sorts of things. Felix was afraid. Literally in the Greek, he was terrified. But even in his fear, with whatever conviction of sin he was experiencing at that moment, as Paul shared with him, he was unwilling to repent of his sin and put his faith in Jesus Christ. And and that's for us. That's for anybody who would join us who doesn't have a saving relationship with Jesus. That today is the the day. Now is the time to be saved. It's never another time. There's never sort of a permission granted in Scripture. Yeah, you want to wait till later in your life? That's fine. No, like it's now. Now is the time. God has grace for us, He has salvation. For any who don't know him. But but we see from verse 26 that Felix did call for Paul again. That, that they had more and more conversations. And I'm sure knowing Paul the way that we do and the things that we've seen of him. Sure that Paul shared about Jesus and all of those opportunities too. But the reason he called for Paul more often, the the reason he wanted to talk with him was because he hoped money would be given to him by Paul in order to release him. Maybe he he thought about how Paul said that he came to bring alms, an offering, and he's like, man, this guy's got money. The church has got money. Like, I can get some money if I just keep him long enough, if I keep calling him back to talk more and more. At some point, he's going to give me some money. And then I'll let him go. I just give me the money. We'll work something out here. Again, there's a, there was an initial moment of fear. There's some sort of conviction of sin. The reality of co- coming judgment that struck Felix in a, in a pretty heavy way for him to be terrified as a Roman official. But that fear went away over time. Instead of conviction of sin, he just wanted money from Paul. But Paul obviously didn't give it because he was never released. And yet Paul kept meeting with Felix. Kept sharing Jesus with Felix. Even though Felix had terrible motivation in wanting to talk with Paul, Paul did it anyways. And who knows how many times they met. Or how many times Paul shared Jesus with him. Clearly, God was giving Paul power to have that patient endurance with joy for all of these different conversations. I'm sure Paul knew. I'm sure Paul knew. Like, he's just looking for a bribe. Like, this guy is so messed up. He knows I'm innocent. 
He can let me go. He has the power to let me go. He has the authority to let me go. He will not let me go. Whatever, my friends get to come, that's great, but I'm still in chains. I'm still chained to guards. Like, I'm not supposed to be here. And yet he kept sharing Jesus. He kept meeting with him. Paul knew, and we need to know this too, that only Jesus can save someone. He knew that his job was just to be faithful in each and every opportunity that Jesus gave him. Whether he saw fruit from it or not. Paul knew what and who Felix needed, and he kept giving Felix Jesus. And this is what we've got to do too. And we need that same power from the Lord in order to patiently endure with joy. Not growing hardened to people, not growing impatient or frustrated with people, but patiently enduring with joy as we seek to share Jesus with others. And as we consider verse 27, we see that Paul also needed patient endurance to handle his imprisonment well as he was kept bound in the praetorium for two years. This was the maximum amount of time that an uncondemned prisoner could be kept as a prisoner. He just let it go the full amount. As long as he could let it go, he kept Paul there. And he needed patient endurance to not blow his witness for Jesus in those two years, to not lose sight of the Lord in his imprisonment in those two, two years in order to take advantage of the different opportunities to share Jesus with others and to not grow bitter towards the Lord or towards people. See, that, that prayer that Paul prayed in Colossians chapter 1 was not him just praying some nice things that none of us will ever experience. No, Paul saw and experienced God do these things in his own life. And he prayed that God would do the same in the lives of other believers too. And that extends all the way to you and me today. You know, there's, there's so much we can learn from Paul's example. And so much we need to learn about calling upon Jesus and, and relying upon the Lord that he would strengthen us with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. I'm going to have Nikki come back up. But in closing, just, just as I asked last week in the close of our time, I want to ask again today, you know, what are, what are we facing? What's going on in our lives? You know, are, are any of us in need of patience, in need of endurance, in need of joy? Are any of us in need of the Lord showing up in our circumstances? Giving us his power and might. Giving us his joy as we, we bear up under the load of whatever it is we would rather not remain under. I, I don't doubt that that's some here today. Something that you're facing. And, and the thing that maybe in the front of your minds is not the word endurance that you would pray for. Lord, give me endurance. <laughs> Just help me to remain under the load, Lord, with strength. Maybe we pray deliverance instead of endurance. And praying for deliverance is a good thing to pray for. But along with our prayers for deliverance, would we also pray for endurance in the meantime? Because God has strength for us. He has grace for us. He has power for us. He has joy for us in the midst of even sorrowful circumstances. And for us to be able to lean upon the Lord. You know, sometimes we lack in those areas of patient endurance because you know what we're leaning on? It's ourselves. I'm leaning on my own understanding. I'm leaning on my own strength. I'm leaning on my own logic to get myself out of the thing that I'm going through. And when I lean upon me, when you lean upon you, we get us. We get our strength. We get our wisdom. 
that we miss out on all the things that God's wanting to do, all the things God is able to do in our lives and in our circumstances. And so this morning as we close, you know, again, if, if that's us, and, and if there is anybody that's joined us this morning and you're going, look, that's, I, I'm more in the camp of like, I just need forgiveness. I need Jesus' salvation. I need to know that my sins are forgiven. I need to know that that coming judgment is, is not going to be a judgment of condemnation for me, but actually a judgment of, of rewards. I'm going to be able to stand before the Lord clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And, and that can be a confidence that each of us has this morning. And so if that is anybody this morning, as you're going, look, I, I actually just need to be saved. I need to be forgiven. I, I would ask you to stand. If that is anybody in here that you would go, that's me. Or, you know, maybe even someone online that you're going, look, that's me. I just encourage you in your own heart to just pray to the Lord and, and to humble yourself before the Lord and to repent of your sin. That means turning away from your sin. And turning in faith to Jesus Christ to put your faith in him and what he did for you on, on your behalf on the cross as he hung in our place and he took our sin and our guilt and our debt upon himself. And, and the Bible says, look, if, we, if we'll confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, if we'll believe in our heart that God raised from the dead, we will be saved. And that's a confidence that he wants us to have this morning. And so... If that is anybody, I just encourage you in your own heart to, to make that prayer, to get real with the Lord this morning. But for the rest of us who are here and, you know, as we consider some of these things this morning, that we would just be able to turn these things in, into praise. That even during these songs, maybe that we would just, we would have those moments of maybe we don't sing at all. Maybe we just have some moments to to be silent before the Lord and to maybe confess areas where we've been doing stuff in our own strength or, or we've been missing opportunities because of our a hardness in our hearts towards people or whatever that might be and asking the Lord to change us, but asking the Lord to forgive us and then asking the Lord to strengthen us, to give us power with his might to patiently endure with joy. but that we would respond to the Lord this morning. Whether that's just needing prayer, the prayer team being available, or taking the communion elements, or maybe it's kneeling where you're at, or lifting your hands high, or being silent before him, just getting real with the Lord this morning. Because, look, putting on a show for the Lord doesn't work. It, we could do it for other people, but the Lord sees through it. <laughs> so just... Pour out your heart to Jesus this morning. But Lord, we just thank you for this time. Lord, I pray for any who may have joined us this morning who didn't have a personal relationship with you or don't have a personal relationship with you, Lord, that this morning they would open their hearts to you, Lord, they'd confess that they're sinners, Lord, that they repent of their sin, turn away from it, Lord, and turn to you in faith, that they'd put their faith, their trust in you. Lord, receiving your free gift of salvation by grace. Receiving your forgiveness. Receiving your cleansing, your pardon. Lord, receiving the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Lord, as they confess that you're Lord, you're, you, are, you are their Lord. Believing in their heart that you rose from the grave. Lord, would you save them? Would you meet them where they're at? Lord, would you seal them with your Holy Spirit and help them, Lord, to live for you. And God, for those of us who know you, Lord, already, but God may be struggling with different things. Lord, maybe we're struggling in our patience with people. Maybe we've just grown impatient, Lord. We've grown hardened towards people, Lord, and a softening needs to happen in our own hearts and minds towards sinners, who need your salvation. Lord, soften us up, Lord. Give us your love for them, Lord. Give us your eyes to see them the way that you do. Lord, help us to not give up, Lord, on people who you have not given up on. 
God, keep us prayerful. Lord, keep us mindful of you and what you're wanting to do. Lord, give us boldness in these days, Lord, to share your gospel with people. Give us those opportunities, Lord, and then give us the boldness. And God, would you give us patient endurance with joy, Lord. Empower us to do that. In these days, Lord, and in the days to come. Jesus, we look to you. Lord, we need your help. We need your grace. We need your power. Lord, those that are in need of comfort, Lord, those that are in need of hope, Lord, those in need of strength, God, meet them where they're at. Lord, do that deeper inner work of strengthening and fortifying and comforting that only you can do. Lord, bringing hope, Lord, where maybe there's just some hopelessness. But God, would you equip us, Lord, to do the work of ministry, Lord, to minister effectively, to serve you well, Lord, to minister to others, God. Lord, both to believers and to unbelievers. And God, we give you this time, Lord, now as we sing these songs of praise, Lord, as the prayer team is available, Lord, as we take of the communion elements, remembering Jesus, your body that was broken for us, your blood that was shed for the forgiveness of sins. Lord, would we just continue to press into you. Lord, and find in you all that we need. Because you are, Lord all that we need. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.